Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reading the Room, a literary podcast featuring author interviews and discussions with bookish content creators. My name is Jalen, also known as The Bar in the Bookcase on YouTube. And today I am joined by my bestie, CJ, at the channel CJ Reads, also owner of the lovely Sunny's Book Truck. You should follow her, follow Sunny's Book Truck, incredible stuff. CJ, thank you for joining me today to talk about books as objects and book cover design. Yeah, thanks for having me on the pod again. Always a pleasure. And I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics of all time. I'm so hyped. I was thinking about like podcast ideas. And I knew I wanted to do one about the subject. And I had to choose you because you have a background in design. And you also have a series on your channel called Don't Blow Your Cover, where you exclusively talk about in those videos, book cover design and your thoughts on them. So do you want to let us all know about like your background in this and why you're so compelled to make content or think about design generally? Yeah. Um, to start off the conversation, I just want to big, give a big caveat that I'm not a designer. Um, I do have an art background and I work with design on a daily basis, which I'll get into a little bit, but not a designer, but I play one on TV. Okay. Um, don't come for me designers out there if you hate my opinions, but comes with some years of knowledge. So I would say I have a good grounding for, for my many plethora of opinions. So I went to art school. I have a BFA in photography um, and that formed a lot of, I mean, not only my critical thinking skills, but also just really grounded me through years of practice in looking at art, looking at art objects. I was hyper-focused on bookmaking. When I was in college, I made a, a monograph, which is um, a word for like a photography narrative essay book when I was in college is my senior thesis. So it's always been something that's been really important to me. And uh, book design was a big part of my college experience, not fiction, but, you know, from an art perspective and a monograph perspective. So that's my my art background. And as part of my day job, I work at a design studio that makes a lot of cover art and packaging art for video games. So we are constantly working with illustrators, graphic designers, 3D artists, all of these different kind of art making specialists to respond to a client brief and make a piece of art from them that is usually really seeped in storytelling and kind of imbuing all of the aspects of a video game in one piece of cover art, right? So that is what I do on a daily basis. And it definitely makes my brain be in hyperactive mode drive because I'm constantly looking at things that we're trying to sell and thinking about how an audience would react to them and thinking about who it's for and all of those things that go into uh, marketing and advertising, really. I don't think I've ever asked you about this, but do you feel that in the book realm, like your tastes and leanings and how you think about design is more like personal to you versus how it is in work? Or, they feel like so different in my head, but maybe they're not. Yeah, I mean, they're incredibly different audiences, I would say, first of all. Um, they're different kinds of media that people are consuming. So that is always with me when I'm evaluating who was this made for, right? And I think good design does consider their audience when they're trying to relay what is important in whatever the object is that they're trying to convey about it, right? Something that we talk about a lot at my work is the principles of title, tone, and talent. So, you know, title meaning what from a literal text perspective needs to be on the packaging 
to be able to have the viewer assess what it is really quickly. So if it's, you know, an Assassin's Creed game, where does the logo live on the packaging? And for books, that relates to where does the author name and where does the title live, right? You can see a direct carryover there. Tone being what is the mood we're trying to imbue into this art? What makes up kind of the more philosophical or like conceptual parts of the game? Is it moody? Is it optimistic? Is it a hero's journey? Like what are those kind of different references that are both in the game and maybe in art history itself? Like, is the game a steampunk game? Should we be pulling from this Victorian era to kind of address what uh, what kind of the content is in the game itself? And then talent, which I think is more specific to video games than it is to books, even though some books operate on, on this from a more genre perspective. I think genre fiction and the covers that exist within that would relate more closely to the talent portion, but it's who who is showing up. Most video games, you're playing as a character. It's, you know, a role-playing game. So who is that person that's on the cover that we need to have the viewer picture themselves as or kind of place themselves in the journey of whatever narrative arc is happening in this video game? So I don't know if that answered your question, but those are some things that I look for specifically when I'm at work and assessing art in my day job. And some of them do carry over to book design and some of them don't. But I would say I most definitely have more of like a personal taste turned on when I'm looking at and assessing book cover art than I am marketing materials for these giant corporations that make video games, right? And the reason why I've been thinking about this is because I feel like one book cover in specific that's been kind of having publishing or at least literary fiction publishing of late the books that we read in a chokehold is like the My Year of Rest and Relaxation, hot pink graphic with an illustration on it. And I was looking at this post from this author, Lee Stein, I think it was from back in like August of like 2021, if I recall correctly. And she was talking about how her book, which also has like a pink title or a pink cover that with the title called Self Care, and it was in a stack with also The Idiot by Ella Bottomen, Severance by Ling Ma. And so she was talking about how like a book cover, like you're saying, is supposed to convey in some sense what the book contains. And it's also interesting thinking about trends on that front, particularly of late and how like books are sort of leaning in towards certain trends or in certain ways. And it's interesting to think about what we enjoy, I guess, as a book cover, like objectively versus what is sort of also contained in those trends. And so jumping from there for you personally, like when you're out shopping or you're looking online and a publisher posts something about a book coming out, what do you look for in a book cover? What usually catches your eye just generally? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a cop-out answer, I guess, but I'm always looking for something striking and that feels differentiated from what's currently on the market and just simply catches my eye, which is such a subjective thing to be looking for. But it's the truth. It's, you know, we're inundated with constant, like a constant image flood, really, from all sources of uh, media, whether it's like TV show ads or or anything. So it's like, what, what breaks that cycle? What breaks that loop? What do we spend time and pause on? So I would say that's what I'm looking for. I'm I'm not super married to any like medium when it comes to book covers and, and what they need to have on them. It could be illustrated. It could be more using a collage language. It could be employing photography in an interesting way. It could repurpose paintings like the My Year and Rest of My Year of Rest and Relaxation does. I, I think I'm open to that. I'm not tied to anything, like I said. I just want something feels balanced feels striking and feels fresh. I guess it's something that feels considered and like 
is elevated beyond a piece of marketing material to like a design object, if that makes sense. On a similar note here, I mean, you in your series, you often talk about the cover itself, but I'm also curious about book design generally and how I myself, everyone has their own preferences about what that what that is for them. But I'm wondering for you, like when it comes to the actual design of a book, like what is your ideal like size, paperback, hardback, like what do you want the book to feel like in your hands? Yeah, so I'm not a hardback lad at all. Um, they're completely not my preference. I don't not buy them, but I prefer if a book is available in paperback, not only for the cost savings, but for the, the hand feel of it as well to have a paperback. I love something floppy. I think there's something interesting that happens in the the binding of uh, official copies that doesn't happen to arcs if if you know what i mean i feel like whenever we receive arcs and these proof copies they're something that is in the binding of the paperback that is floppier i don't know if it's a cheaper glue i don't know if they're just like using a cheaper method of binding them in general to save because these aren't you know the full press run but it's it's pretty funny to to feel the hand feel difference on that. And when you get a finished copy that is floppy, you're like, yeah. So that's definitely a preference of mine. What else do I like? Um, I despise deckled edges. I think they're hideous and corny. They're just like trying to speak to this time of printmaking and a historical callback that's uh, like not needed and unnecessary to me. And they cost more money for publishers. I think they're trash. I love a French flap, gorgeous built-in bookmark. Like why, why don't more people do that? I think for like stock cover, I'm interested in maybe something that's a little bit more matte. Whenever you get one of those high gloss covers, it does have a cheapening effect to me. I'm thinking immediately of Cold Enough for Snow. That cover is so high gloss that it looks like a print-on-demand book. So that has like a less premium feel to it. And I would say I'm not like super, I was going to say horny. I guess I'm not super horny for like foil or spot gloss or anything, but if it's employed in the right way, it is a nice touch. <laughs> I'm horny for some gold foil. Like gold foil, I will buy the book. Like I'd be much more inclined to, I would say. One of my favorites, pure color, even in the art copies, they gold foiled it and I was obsessed but I mean like going to those things that I think many readers like I agree with you like I love a French flat I love floppiness I mean I kind of like deckled edges but I'm not like and I think it's more so I just like the novelty of it like it's interesting getting something different and like oh wow it's like they try to do something with it and that feels like effort so I, I kind of enjoy that but I'm wondering why I don't know if it's purely cost where do publishers go wrong with design? Like, why don't they just do the things that many people enjoy? You know what I mean? Like, why do certain publishers never publish French flapped paperbacks while others, usually like more indie presses, I find, put more time into those things? Is it just because of the cost or I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to interview someone about that and like how much of the publishing house you work at dictates like what the standards are. I'm sure it's incredibly templatized knowing my experience with other giant mega corporations of like, you know, some creative director 30 years ago said they don't ever do a thing, so they never do it. And I'm sure cost savings is a huge, huge decider too. I mean, a French flap, you need more of that cover stock to make that bend. And that results in more of a cost. You know what I mean? It could be something as simple as that. But I would love to interrogate the person who's in charge of all of these decisions at each publishing. Right. Yeah, because it does, it feels so like imprint specific, like even, so one thing too is like dust jackets, I 
I think many people don't love them generally, but like there's this one press called Unnamed Press and on their hardcovers, like the actual texture of the, the the hardcover without the dust jacket on it, it's very like smooth and kind of creamy feeling. And it's like the only press that I know of that like kind of puts the extra, I guess, cost or time into doing that. And I'm just wondering, I think it's so interesting like how those decisions are made. And of course, we don't know the answers and I would also would love <laughs> to interrogate. But in my mind, I guess I think that you would probably make more money despite the cost input, but I mean, there's obviously way more research done and maybe it's not the case, I don't know. But I mean, on that front, have you ever purchased a book for its cover or its design purely because it's gorgeous or like you were kind of on the fence and you're like, well, this is really cool, so I'm just gonna splurge and, and buy it? I actually don't think I have, which kind of shocks me. I've definitely picked things up and been drawn to them and touched them without having any context of the book that it was before due to the cover design, but I'm not sure I've ever done a full-on purchase if I didn't like the content as well. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I've been drawn to one, picked it up, the content looked good as well, and then I've ended up purchasing it, but I'm not like an edition purchaser. I'm not, I'm not someone who needs to buy my favorite book in the cloth-bound penguin edition, you know what I mean? Which is weird and kind of antithetical to who I am as a, a person who likes to be surrounded by things. But as beautiful as I think book design can be, at least for like reading books for me, they also are practical. So I think I I need to strike that balance somewhere. And for me, that's where like additions have landed. I'm like, oh, no buy zone. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised to hear that from you because like, I was going to ask you, like, I know one of your favorite books last year, just top of mind is like, I love you, but I've chosen darkness by Claire Bay Watkins, gorgeous cover, love. And I was going to ask like, if they release an edition that like removed the dust jacket, had like the art in, what is it called? Like when it's like a part of the embossed embossed yeah and like had like i don't know i don't know if these are important to you i can't remember if you said this but like sprayed edges or something that was like kind of related to the sun or something like would that would you be like well well i mean you just dreamed up like the perfect example of something that would tempt me so yes i guess in that highly specific fake scenario where it's curated exactly to my interest i would be tempted but it's like like maybe if it had new content, you know what yeah. I mean? Like maybe maybe if it had a new forward by someone, maybe if it had an extended chapter and all of those other beautiful editions were happening at the same time. But I don't know, I'm a hard sell. I'm a hard sell to buy something I already have a usable copy of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, there's also something to be said for like, for me, I tend to find if I read something on NetGalley or like through a library, um, Libby hold or something, and then I see that the book like, slays and it's covered like I will then want to add it to the shelves so going from there what are some current trends that you're seeing in cover design right now yeah I think we outlined a few prior to this call and the one that is you know the most notable the one that's had medium articles written about it the one that got dragged in the New York Times is this like Matisse abstract blob language that is just full force everywhere right now. I mean, it's the Reese's book club effect to the power of a thousand. Um, I'm talking like Detransition Baby, The Vanishing Half, The Performance, Black Cake, Somebody's Daughter. These are all tonally incredibly sim similar. And I mean, if we unpack that a little bit, you can see why they're artful. They are artful and they're not using anything that's hyper realized or or tied to the story. They're a little bit more obscure and ambiguous where, you know, it invites the reader to 
participate in what they think this book is about. It's not leading the witness as much. And also they're selling incredibly well. I mean, a lot of the bestseller list of 2020 and 2021 have these books on it. And when something works, this is, you know, true of most all industries, but there's, there's certain archetypes that you follow when trends start to be established because the human humans have little tiny mice brains and if we like something we want more of it right so you can see from from that perspective why publishers and art directors and all of these different design agencies that are making this art for these books are hitting that same note over and over again one thing that i've been thinking about with that though too is like you then so these trends sort of happen and before it's sort of identified i think like in culture or like in i don't know like in a tweet where someone's like why do all these books on this shelf look the same like before that i would think that that's like the bulk of like the excitement about purchasing books with those covers and it doesn't seem as if it, there's being a trend or a repetition there but i'm wondering when the trend sort of starts dying like how does that happen like i haven't really looked into that in trends generally like i kind of follow like pop music i tend to like think about trends on that front too but like do you know kind of how that inform is informed like in your job as well like when you know like okay this has been working for the last like two years but like we're gonna try to see our way because it's gonna maybe die out soon yeah trend cycles are interesting and really hyper specific to like what the media is and who the consumer is I feel like a general rule, though, is once it starts being highly criticized and publicized and and that forecast watch, you can you can plot it kind of in the points. And all of these media outlets are also try, trying to speculate and noting the recurrence. That is definitely the peak. And then from there, it should be a gradual decline. Mm -hmm. So I think in general, it's like the the bad publicity train has to come and uh then people will start backing off a little bit and it's also not feeling as fresh to people like on a broader scale because of the repetition and that's being noticed yeah and i think one like i don't know if you agree with this but like the rachel cusk white outline covers with like a photographic image or something else like in the middle of it and then bordered by white that seems to be like the new thing that's going on at least like this year i want to say like i just got a book from soft school press called normal distance which is very cusk to me and that one's publishing i think like in a week or something um very soon and so that was one example that i had but do you think that will be a sort of newer trend that's going to keep popping up or do you think that's on that on the out already i think that one has a little bit more staying power because it's it's using this implied photo mat language right that is more of a like a traditional way to explore hierarchy in 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 a graphic treatment in general and it's not more of a, a treatment or a style like that that lends itself to have more legs and more duplicity than the abstracted blobs do because what's in that mat it can be a million different things it can be it could be an abstracted blob it could be a photo reel up close photo of a seashell it could be a line drawing you know what i mean the the content itself has more ability to shift therefore i think it has more longevity and also the type hierarchy and the way that type can interact with with that border and the element that is situated in between it has more possibilities than a full bleed image using the same motif over and over again so i definitely think it's working for people it's feeling more editorial i think it's speaking to someone who is buying cusp books which is you know, maybe a little bit more of a shishi New York, LA, 
person. And I think I guess in general just has a different audience and publishers are noticing that and picking up on it. I can see something coming maybe, or I can see this kind of doing well, like certain editions that are all the same, I guess. So like I'm holding up for people that are listening, a Fitzcarraldo editions, which all of their fiction is published in this dark blue color with white font with just the title and the author's name. And then for their nonfiction, it's inverted. So it's white and then the font is blue. What do you think about very simplistic covers like this that just speak to the title and author and you can kind of collect them? I mean, to me, if there's a Fitzcarraldo edition, I'll want to seek that one out just because it'll fit in the collection. I think that might be a fun way for publishers to start doing something different, I guess. But also there's something nice about unique covers too that don't fit into a series that I think is also compelling. So I don't know. What do you think about these? Yeah, I like the Fitzcarraldo ones in the context of the market, right? Like, I don't know if I would like them if they were in isolation and weren't like this masterclass in simplicity and restraint. But in the context of like being inundated with like so many different kinds of design happening on book covers, I I like that it feels fresh. I think that's what I like about it. Do I like a navy blue background with like the most normal serif font I've ever seen in my life? No, like that's not something I'm drawn to from a design perspective. But again, in the context of being overwhelmed with choices and spoils, it is it is striking. Therefore, I like it. One thing too about sort of simplicity and things that I'm seeing through book covers that I've been thinking about lately is this sort of designation on book covers of whether it's a novel or a memoir or stories. And I remember Hannah, like in our group chat, she's like, I don't know why, like she was thinking of it from a US versus UK perspective and wondering why that is. So what do you think about it having that? Because I think it's kind of unnecessary. And I tend to find now like a novel is almost always written in like a diagonal, like semi-cursive font. Um, I'm seeing that a lot, like in that one book you just read, um, All This Could Be Different. The font is different for a novel and it's a little cursive So what do you think about that? I, as far as like a type perspective goes, that's probably one of my least favorite type decisions to be made in book design. So it's usually employed with, you know, uh, demonstrating what type of book it is. Therefore, I dislike it. I think there probably are some examples where it is used to do something interesting or like disrupt the design in general and like create tension where it's probably okay but I think it is maybe a more American market thing only because we do have friends in the UK who have told us that you know what I mean they're like why why is that happening so much in America like you guys love saying what the book is on on the cover so Again, that's something I'm interested. It must it must have relate back to something with the American market and like what we need to pick up and what we need to have demonstrated in order to know what it is before we like peruse through it. It's it's kind of like honestly maybe something related to like the attention economy and like Instagram brain. Like maybe maybe publishers have a better chance of relaying to you what this book is and and selling it and having a greater chance of getting it in your hands if you have that information to assess immediately before like flipping it over and reading the back blurb. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. That is one thing like in terms of US publishing that I don't love. And I think there's a lot of, I don't know, content that's made about like US versus UK cover design generally. And so just going to this idea of bad cover design (laughs) in general, like what are some things that you see in a book cover that instantly like puts you off? Like what do you hate? I hate vector line art drawings of human figures, i.e. Sorrow and Bliss, 
i.e. the Rooney novels, just that kind of like flat, no dimension approach of portraying a human figure, big gross out to me. It just feels so twee and like kind of kitty. Really dislike imagery of paper being torn. Maybe that's hyper specific, but if you ever look at any historical novel and a lot of nonfiction as well, or maybe like thriller crime, there's kind of this this treatment approach of of torn paper, you know, that's trying to tell the reader that the content in the book is maybe like a little risky or like, or it's implying age in a historical fiction sense. So that is usually an, an uggo to me. And it's just like not my favorite to look at. I'm like, is this Pirates of the Caribbean? I don't understand. Like we don't need to tea treat paper for me to know that it's about a historical setting right? I'm thinking Hamnet on that one. Hamnet, I'm thinking you, babe. You did not hit the mark. Another book cover I really despise is Early Morning Riser. The blob shape language of that illustration, it, it feels like an anthropology postcard to me. It feels so oversaturated, especially that one, though. It really makes me mad. And the type choice on there as well like isn't balanced at all it's also kind of scrawly and roughed up and like sickly so those are some hyper specific things i just like i also dislike like the cover of adele by Leila slamani how it's this like really images that are maybe so abstract and like like feel like stock images i would say like adele i swear they they google like depressed woman looking over her shoulder you know what I mean like it just is so on the nose that it feels like the the marketer or or the publisher thinks I'm dumb that I have to like be spoon-fed what the content is to that degree no, I agree with you I mean I tend to find too like on that front the divide between fiction and nonfiction is so wide like I feel like most often nonfiction covers generally suck like that's just what I tend to see, like usually very bland or just very minimal. And I feel like there's so much that can be done with them. And so one that I have here that I want to get your opinion on that I think does nonfiction well, it doesn't do too much, but I think it like does enough to make you like enticed is Stranger to Ourselves by Rachel yep. Eve. Slightly altering that font a little bit gives a little eeriness, I want to say, but I'm glad that you agree that you like this. Yeah, I think like something really type forward and striking like that works for nonfiction because it's really employing what the book is about and it doesn't really need to express that in imagery right like it's not really telling you a story it's presenting something to you as like a factual experience so I think that makes sense for something that's more text driven um that that really works for me on a lot of nonfiction books I feel I feel like Verso is really good at nonfiction book covers um they're kind of a more radical publisher though so like they have a design perspective. So that makes sense why they they do. And then, you know, some of the FSG books that have been published that are nonfiction, they just have access to great art directors and designers. So those are always considered as well and usually pay off for me. Going back to fiction, I'm wondering in terms of imagery that's quite on the nose and its depiction of what the book contains, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but what do you think of A Little Life's cover? I really like it. That is a image of a man ejaculating. Did you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> That's by a pretty famous photographer named... Oh, Orgasmic Man by Peter Hujar? Yes, by Peter Hujar, um, who is like a 
seminal queer photographer and photographed a lot of queer men in the 80s and 90s. So I love that it's that. And a lot of people think that it's that man crying. So that's like a really fun bait and switch that I think is interesting for the, the publisher and the book designer to do. And something about that image particularly that works for me is scale, right? So that mm -hmm. photo is so zoomed in we're just getting this like moment and slice in time. It's intriguing. It feels it feels like a way we don't typically see a portrait, especially on a book cover. So I like it. That's interesting. I never knew your thoughts on that. And I didn't know that it was an orgasmic man until right now. So I was I was one that did not know that. Just going to font generally, like this is making me think about how I've been drawn to some covers that are sort of min more minimal in their font, like The Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector. New, New Directions recently published like a, an anniversary edition of it, and it's just an or a portrait of Clarice Lispector from like a side angle with a bunch of stars over the cover, and that's it. And I just loved how striking that is. Kind of similar to this, like a little bit, um, but different. So, what do you think about removing font or using it very minimally on a cover? I think it's really hard to pull off, and I think it's incredibly rare. Can you think of any other examples beside that Lispector book that have done that? That's the only one I could think of earlier. I feel like you have to be either... It has to be like a re-edition. It has to be a re-edition or it has to be so striking as an art object that the publisher is willing to take the perceived loss on the viewers, the, not the viewers, the buyers who would need to pick up that book with the title on it and the people who would just be interested enough to just grab it. Right. Like that seems like a really risky financial investment for the publisher to make. And it makes sense why it happened on a re-edition of this incredibly famous author who's like already in the canon. Right. Because I think the, the paperback of that one is like a very like a neon green, very bright cover with with the text on the cover. So kind of going away from cover two and just going to book treatment. You talked about this already, but you treat your books however you want to. I take it <laughs> in terms of cracking the spine, dog earring pages. Like, do you have any... Anything with treating your books that you like won't do to it? Or is not it kind of fair really. game? Yeah, not really. I take the dust cover off usually when I'm reading a hardback because it just gets in the way. But I don't really mind if they get torn. I lend my books out super freely. I'm not precious about them at all. I prefer if they make them their way back to me. But I also understand that's the the chance of loaning books out. I, I dog ear. I'm not a huge annotator, to be honest. I only am if I'm reading for a book club or am reading something nonfiction that I want to return to. But like if I'm reading for pleasure and I'm just picking up a fiction book, I'm not someone who's going to like annotate a ton. So I'll annotate my books if I want to. I have no qualms about, about doing that. I think there's like also a big culture right now of people getting those like crazy uh, post-it note things and like like really going so hard on annotation and like the different devices to show that you've done that. I can't relate to that at all, to be honest. I don't need to use a bookmark, but I'll use one if I have one handy. You know, they're just they're just little guys. Yeah, they're just little objects. It is interesting because, like, I'm I'm sort of different in that regard. Like, I've recently I started cracking or cracking spines. I don't dog ear though. That's something that I'm weird about. Like, I just can't bring myself to do it. But yeah, annotating culture is wild. Like I know there's many like bookish content creators on YouTube that go over their like code system. To me, it sounds a little bit trying to 
I don't know, do homework, I guess, with my reading or trying to like make sure that I put like enough energy or effort into the reading experience. I don't know. It sounds like a lot. Performative to me too. Like I'm sure people do it genuinely and it helps them and maybe it helps them retain information in a different way than if they didn't annotate. But I feel like in the space of bookish online creator people, I'm like, okay, you did it for Instagram. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think honestly, you know, hot take a little bit, but that's how I feel about that. No, I agree. Totally. So I guess to round out our discussion and kind of talk about some book covers that CJ loves, like what are some that in your mind you're like, these are banging, these will stand the test of time, I guess. What are those ones for you? So the prompt you actually gave me is if I could build a perfect book cover, what would be the five covers you'd use as reference? So there are many more book covers that I think are incredible and are differentiated from kind of the ones that I'm going to talk through right now. But with that prompt, going back to the Kuskian photo mat language of having a border and something contained in that border, right? I think that's definitely the vein of, of what my perfect book looks like. I think that is for a couple of reasons. It's using this interesting hierarchy exploration and creating tension between the Thing that is contained in the border and the border itself and how the text interacts with that. So there's a lot of room for tension and for hierarchy exploration, which is always important for me. And I think viewers like our brains like that, right? We like to we, have, we <laughs> like to have our we like to have our eye drawn throughout a composition and and explore the different parts of it. A few books that do this well are Mona, which I think also has a really fun use of type. If I could pass a word on to the publishers of the future. I would love more fun type explorations. Mona is like a really custom handmade type that is specific for that title. I think there are so many interesting type foundries. A type foundry is like a, a group of designers who make custom types and cut them for, for individual use, for corporations to use. Like Apple has its own custom font, right? Electronics Arts has its own custom font. A lot of these big corporations get a type foundry to make them their custom font so it's more ownable and you can kind of like relate that to the brand whenever you see them. Those are more minimal in their in their their structure, but there are a lot of foundries who do like wacky, weird fonts that are pulling from a lot of different eras and that are super fun. And I think Mona is one of them. It's kind of offbeat and makes you... It, it, I, you can't place it in time really I'm like oh this feels fresh but it's also like evoking a 60s 70s like funkiness in that era of of type usage that I think is fun the dogs of summer UK cover is a Gorgiana I don't know if you've seen it I don't think I have it's pretty striking it's it's a photograph of two girls in the middle and then the border itself is colored which I thought was really fun and the type is intersecting between both of those elements and and causing some some uh some sparkly feelings in my body i also love drifts that cover is so beautiful to me by kate zambrino again it's using a photograph but also this big pop of of yellow death by landscape also has that that language going on and kind of that tension building and even like the living autobi autobiography series by deborah levy has a little bit of that um it's not as centered composition they're more off kilter but you can see you can see the the confinement of the thing and letting it breathe in a space, in a context, which I like. Yeah. And those are the UK versions, I think, that are like superior to the US editions. Um, I have those. I had to get the UK versions. Um, Edition lab. 
He's a clever yeah, lad. <laughs> I am. So do you see these editions I've been posting about lately? The uh the like the blue ones, the light blue, yes, I modern have. classics. Do you like they do, those? They do nothing for me. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't yeah, I don't know. Like something about them I love from a collector's perspective. Like they they look better, I think, than some other editions. Just like the black ones. Yeah. I like the black yeah. ones too, but they're a little bit there's a little judge to them that I that I appreciate. Yeah, I agree. For like a classics comparison to the black penguin ones, I definitely prefer the blue ones, but I don't know if I would go out of my way to search for them. Finally, in terms of like forecasting future book cover trends and where things are going in the next two to three years, I didn't tell you this before, but I just had this idea. I know like the Jeanette McCurdy memoir has been selling out. I, I love the cover. I think it's really solid. I don't know if it's like 60s or 70s, but do you think like that that sort of retro style of a book cover will be a trend in the future? And if so, will it stick in the more nonfiction vein? Or do you, can you see it kind of blending over into fiction as well? I can, I'm just expecting that it's going to be a thing given just how successful that book is. That cover is incredibly 80s to me. Oh, is it 80s? Yeah, I don't know my decades. I think with like the, the rounded corners and the type being used, it's giving like Danielle Steele, the Babysitter's Club. Like it's kind of referencing that era. And I do think that that is the next trend on the horizon. Um, you know, like banana clips are back. There's, there's a lot of um, 80s happening in culture at large, kind of that that like art deco 80s redo of like the minimal plaster furniture with like the shell the shell language and like in tables I don't know if anyone can picture what I'm talking about but I can see it happening hard right now in home decor so it makes sense that it's coming for um book covers as well I think in the Jeanette McCurdy example it's like funny and like specific because it is kind of talking about those 80s sweet tropes of of the babysitter's club like maybe that's why they liked that tension of using that kind of like sickly sweet palette and like hearkening back to that for this like very dark title and also content in the book i don't know if i can see it extending huge into the rest of um book design but i think there's some potential there and that's a good trend to watch out for us to watch out on Ooh, actually normal distance i would say I know you said that was kind of Cuskian to you, but that is kind of 80s vibe as well to me. That pastel color palette, kind of this use of perspective and these kind of like modern cubist shapes that I'm seeing in the furniture happening as well from the 80s. I can see that being pulled over here. So, hey, maybe that is a trend on the horizon. So I wanted, I didn't tell you about this either before, but I want to do like a quick fire, show you some covers that I pulled and just get your like hot takes like quickly Love. on them. Love. Okay. So, my dream. quick fire. Did you hear Mammy Died by Seamus O'Reilly, a memoir? This is library. Sorry, so glossy. I'm honestly feeling 80s vibes on that as well. Um, Interesting type language. I'm glad they're doing something unexpected. And it's fun. A variable weight font. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. I like green as well. Trinity, Trinity, Trinity. Interesting. I have not seen that type hierarchy, I don't think, on a cover before. The author's name is incredibly small and kind of centered top justified that is interesting i like that that's fun i like it too i love the font choice and like the swoopiness of it next is the morning star by carl ove Knausgaard. doesn't do anything for me but it's not offensive i like the image i recently noticed the star going on <gasps> in 
Isn't that interesting? Ooh, okay, I like it now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's doing that thing with the novel and cursive. Like, right, what? but we, so we have weird. to let that go because that's yeah. just everywhere. Next up is New and Selected Stories by Christina Rivera Garza out from Dorothy Project. Love. It looks like a college catalog or furniture catalog to me, and therefore it feels different. I like it. Yeah, and it, using the photography of it all, I mean, I know you're into photography as well, so I thought you would like this one when I saw mm -hmm. it. I'm glad I was pretty that right. The new Celeste Ng, Our Missing Hearts. I cannot believe this is published in 2022. Like, it looks like a fanfic cover from Wattpad. Like, absolutely unacceptable. How did this happen to her? Like, that is the tattoo people make fun of from, like, girls getting in on Pinterest. It is so <laughs> bad to me. I couldn't... It's it's trash. This is terrible. It's really bad. And you would think, like, considering this is going to be quite, like, a big book this season, I'm so shocked that they wouldn't put more into it. But maybe they're, like, banking on the name. I don't I don't get how this happens. I really it's don't. It's so bad. And it also, I'm like, oh, okay, well, the content is going to be terrible now. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm expecting that to read, like, YA based on the cover. Yeah, I'm very... No offense to YA people. I don't mean all of YA is bad. I'm just saying it looks like a bad YA cover. Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. I feel nothing towards that. It is giving nothing. I It's like not even sim simplistic because there's a lot going on. It's just messy. It looks like a, um, a, nature, a nature memoir. I feel like the title should be all in one line as well. Like I don't... I don't... Yeah. Breaking... Because it, is it one word on the spine? Yes. Yeah. That's like a big graphic design no-no. It's called... Usually when you have like a line break and one word is hanging on at the bottom, it's called an orphan. So that immediately looks like a mistake to me. And I love that it says 40th anniversary edition and they did nothing for, <laughs> nothing to celebrate the cover, which is <laughs> very sad. Sorry to drag that cover. Okay, here's this one. Alice Knott by Blake Butler. Fun. I like it. Um, interesting type disruption going on here and the mirroring of the drippiness that's happening in the painting. And having an echo in the type is just like reinforcing this feel of dread. You know what I mean? That's what I feel from this. Yeah, I need to read this. This is just a side note. The blurbs are wild. So it's Laura Vandenberg, Alexandra Kleeman, Lydia Yuknovich, Catherine Lacey, and Chelsea Hodson. Bangers. But I will say <laughs> like the type, the type hierarchy on that one. Why is the novel the same size as the name of the book and the author? Alice, not a novel, Blake Butler. Like, can can we make a novel smaller? You know what I mean? That that yeah. is a no no to me. So this is a hugely buzzy book right now. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Yeah. Okay. So this is like that that Japanese wave lino like woodblock print. Do you know which one I'm talking about? It's incredibly famous. The Great Wave off Kanagawa. Yeah, it's a, a very famous woodblock print made by a Japanese artist in 1831. So that has a lot of cultural signifiers with it for me and I'm immediately like okay is someone in the book Japanese is it set in Japan you know so I'm trying to place that there it feels 80s to me again with this kind of like retro video game font that is giving Pac-Man a little bit I don't know if I need the font to be rainbow there's a lot of, there's a lot going on on this mm -hmm. cover is basically how I'm saying and I'm like what do you need me to pick up on I find it just to be very striking like every time I see it like it shows up I'm like wow that's it's a lot going on but I think it works and then last one that I have is Carnality by Lena Wolf love 
stunning looks like an a24 movie poster so creepy with this nun's face camouflaged with these hot pink dots and i think it's minimal and perfect it is a sleigh yeah well, thank you for playing <laughs> oh, oh anytime that's my dream <laughs> i'm glad that you were able to join me and talk through like my questions about book cover design because I, I tend to know what i like yeah but even sometimes i kind of question i'm like is this like what why does this work why does it not and i feel like you have mm -hmm. really good vocabulary to kind of unpack what's going on so thank you Love. for joining me you're welcome. Always a pleasure. Thank you everyone for watching and or listening. Please follow CJ. I'll leave links below to her account and also to Sunny's book truck, which is fabulous. She has a book club. Get the hot merch. It's incredible. And then the next episode will be with Anna Hoagland, author of The Long Answer, a debut out from Riverhead Books, which was incredible and very akin to Rachel Cusk and Outline. I think if you like autofiction, it's a book that you should have on your radar. So until then, I will catch you all in the next one. Bye. Bye.